Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us again today as we are still in this wonderful series on the cross from Warren Litzman. What an amazing series this has been, and we really appreciate all the wonderful positive comments. Today, we go to part number six of the cross. Here's Warren. Before we go any further into Gethsemane, I think it's necessary that you get settled in your mind one of the most important things there is to settle. It's the hardest thing you've ever done if you've been in religion two or three years. It's an almost impossible thing to do if you've been in it 50 years. But it's something you have to consider. When grace came about and works were destroyed, works are called circumcision in Paul's message. The believer ended up with only one baptism. I want you to mark scriptures and give serious thought to the importance of Paul teaching that there's just one baptism. In Romans 6, which if there is any chapter in the Bible I'd like you to memorize and know, it's Romans 6. Most important truth we have to know in the scriptures are listed for us in Romans 6. And it's a real good foundation for grace. But my interest is really... Interested in the third verse, the first knowing. It says, know ye not. Now you see the way he put that? He didn't say here's something you got to know and when you know it you'll get it. It's the opposite of that, know ye not. That means you already got it. You need to know about it. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Now, it would help some of you if you just change. doesn't change meaning at all. In fact, that helps it. To read that this way, know you not as many of you as were placed into Jesus Christ were placed placed into his death. Now, if you were to make that the first baptism, you come out dead, so there couldn't be any more. You are placed into his death. But the word baptism adds a dimension to it because baptism means complete immersion. You are not partly put in his death. There's not some of you put in his death. You are completely immersed into the death of Jesus Christ. It's total. Every one of you. None of us different. Remember, at the cross, there's no difference. We're all the same. We're all sinners, and we're all saved by grace. We are not partly saved, some saved. We are totally saved by grace. You will notice that when 
kingdom people run out of distinctive scriptures, they begin to add things to it. So we got a lot of people in the kingdom message who say, well, you get partly saved this way, you get saved a little more this way, you get saved a little more over here. You ever run into people like that? Just got all kinds of, uh, they're kind of like these things that Romanism has where you walk through a path and have different things. That are, what do they call those? Stations, yeah. Well, there are no stations in grace. You either got it or you didn't get it. You get the whole bucket of grace the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? doesn't cost God anything, and it doesn't cost you anything. Jesus already paid for it. It's done. It's finished. So you get it all. Just that simple. So you were placed completely immersed into Christ when you were saved, into his death. Now, every one of us have been placed in his death. So there's none of us that have an excuse about the way we live. Nobody has an excuse about the way they live. They can say they were born badly, in a bad environment, bad upbringing, bad in people around them, no breaks in life. I did this because I just had to do it to survive. That's all nothing. You were baptized into his death so that there wasn't any part of you left that was not controlled by the death of Jesus Christ. You understand that? When I pastored, one of the churches I pastored had an alcoholic home. We took in drug people and alcoholics. And uh, you never... You don't know how many excuses there are in the world so you get drugs and alcoholics together. Telling you why they do what they do. And every time they fail, it's because their mind goes back over what's happened to them in life. I just got bad breaks in life. Well, we knocked all that in the head. Of course, we didn't have very many in our alcoholic home after the first meeting or two. But we let it be known right off. When he died, you died. Amen. You were placed into his death and everything about you you don't like, everything about you that nobody else likes, and everything about you that's caused you to go wrong, died. Now, you don't need a whole lot of baptisms with that. You either believe it or you don't believe it. Let's go to the next scripture, 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've been all made to drink into one Spirit. What could be added to that? What could be added to it if we all drink of the one spirit? Well, it's very obvious. This fellow over here says, 
Our way of doing things is this way. We have a right to do what we want to do. This fellow over here says we do things our way. No one spirit there. If you see the in Christ message, there's only one spirit. We've all been placed in Christ. Now, the outworking of that is expression. But the incoming is singular. Everyone placed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. The moment you were saved, you were placed in Christ. Now, that placing is called in the scriptures, once again, a baptism. But I like to use the word place because baptism makes people think, well, they didn't tell me that when I went in the water. If they had of it, wouldn't have made any difference. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body. Therefore, get your language correct. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism into Christ which everybody must have who is saved. Everybody who is saved has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One more verse, Ephesians chapter 4. The summation of what a Christian is. Beginning at verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice, how do you keep peace? There's just one body. One Spirit. Even as you're called in hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So don't struggle with me when I tell you there are no other baptisms in grace. Now there is in the kingdom. They've got a number of baptisms. I run into a fellow not long ago and said there were seven of them. But he made a baptism out of everything. There's only one baptism. The scripture is clear if we listen to the apostle Paul. We're ready to consider more about Gethsemane. I want you to mark Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and I think I won't. Verse 31. Matthew 26, <clears throat> no, that's not what I want, wait a minute, all right, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Matthew 26, 31, then said Jesus unto them, all of you, ye, shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock. Uh, a shepherd of the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. First line I'm interested in. All 
of you shall be offended because of me this night. Now we have to set the stage for what's going on here. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who came down from heaven. The one miraculously born. The one who said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. The one who said, I can do all things. The one who raised the dead. Who was perfect in every regard. Now knows that he's going to have to show his closest followers what to them will be utter defeat. He will shatter them in their minds, in their hearts. They will be so shattered, they won't be able to carry on. They will do miserable things this night because for the first time, Jesus has said that you're going to lose courage of me. You're going to lose your courage. You're not going to follow me anymore. What have you done? He had come against the outer form of everything he had taught. I think about ministers who have to empty their life out to come to God's grace and the fullness of Christ. Hard to do. But think of how hard it was for Jesus because he had to do a like thing. He had to completely empty himself of everything he had been. He had said, if you only believe, all things are possible. But he'll shatter that. Things won't be possible from this moment on. Be different. He can perform no miracle. He can do no healing. It's going to all change. Well, I have sympathy for those that were following Jesus. Because they only saw him as the greatest of warriors, the greatest of kings, the only one that had raised the dead like he had. All of a sudden, he warns them, you're going to lose courage because you're going to see something happen to me that is different. I plucked this statement out of Matthew because I deal with people who go through that same thing in a much minor sense. When this message comes to you, It's like a melting down of everything that happened to you up till then. It's hard on you. You've not had the true gospel. My estimation. But it was the only gospel you knew. 
God had blessed it and used it. You'd seen wonderful things happen. Just like these apostles. They had seen wonderful things happen, but they didn't have the gospel. They had the kingdom message, but it was going to stop, abruptly stop one day. But for Jesus, it was going to stop that night. That was going to be the end for him. He'll still be, he'll still be the object of the kingdom, the king, but he'll promote it no more. The kingdom will be offered at least two or three more times, depending on how you interpret Scripture. Peter offered it on the day of Pentecost. It was rejected again. 3,000 saved, but they rejected the kingdom. Later on, in the early church, it was rejected again. But for Jesus, it was rejected that night. No more kingdom. He had told them to go out and heal the sick and cast out devils. Preach the kingdom is at hand. But this night he says, you're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. Because you're going to see that what happens to me does not embrace what I've taught you. He didn't go into detail, but the night will bring out the detail of what Jesus meant, because we're going to see it. But before I leave this thought, I want to tell you that it is a hard thing to say this is what I believe and then at a certain point say no I can't say I believe that anymore some of you will go through that some of you will have a hard time with that and people will misunderstand they'll think because Jesus did this that he ceases to be Christ he ceases to be Lord a lot of people think because I don't preach sign wonders and miracles anymore, it is that I don't believe. It is the very opposite. I believe in Christ more than ever before, but I don't need those things to prove that He's my Lord. I know in whom I have believed. That's different, you see. So you're going to go through that period, maybe, where you're going to have to go back on what you believed. The death of of all that Adam was in you is going to cause some to stumble. But that's a choice you make. You can be saved and go to heaven anyhow. But you'll not go on into the fullness of Christ nor enter into his one baptism nor enter into his life as your life unless you say this is it. I can't say that what I believed when I was a kingdom preacher was wrong because that's all I knew and God used it. I saw a lot of wonderful things happen. But it wasn't the gospel. 
So what I'd have done for what little I saw happen, I denied thousands of people the full gospel because I didn't know it. So Jesus makes the keen point here that you're not going to like me anymore. You're going to do strange things because of what's going to happen to me. We're getting closer to the cross, you see. When they go into Gethsemane, he's going into this whole different world and a different life. He's going into the power of death to bring new life. And when he goes into Gethsemane, he leaves eight apostles outside the gate. Eight of them. One of them's already gone to betray him. Kiss of death still awaits a little later, brought by Judas. So he takes three of them with him into the heart of the garden. He wants to wait before God. <coughs> they sense something's happened that's far out, deep. And every one of his closest followers, every one of his three-year Bible school students, everyone he gave unlimited power to fail him. They wouldn't have failed him if there'd have been a crowd there and they could have healed the sick and cast out devils. But they failed him because now the one baptism, the baptism into death for all human beings is going to take place. And there's nobody that wants to go there with him. Three times he asked them to pray. They wouldn't do it. The last time he went back and even found the three asleep. That sounds like a bunch of us, doesn't it? Lord, we're going to have an all-night prayer meeting. Pray a few minutes and go to sleep. That's humanity. Can't help that. Doesn't it seem logical that the Lord would have rebuked these disciples? He should have spanked them good. But you know what? He loved them. What? Could you not watch and wait with me? That's as strong a word as he could give them. But you know what I see at that moment when they all failed? I see that he had the taste of death for his closest followers as well as a lost and dying world. For they too needed this new salvation that comes by the cross. Even the apostles to whom he gave limitless power to heal the sick and cast out devils and raise the dead, even they would have to be included in his death. They weren't a special group. 
all special outwardly, but he knew inwardly they needed his death as badly as anybody. Which brings up an interesting thought. There are no elite people in God's plan. We're not elite. I get accused of that. People say, well, Litzman, you don't go to church buildings anymore and you're not doing this and you're not doing that with the rest of us. You must think you're somebody. I do think I'm somebody. I know who I am in Christ. But you know, I'm not elite. If I followed Paul, I would say I'm the least of all. Seven times Paul said he was nothing. Or similar words to that. Nothing. Why? Just because we have this position with God, just because we know something about the scriptures doesn't make us elite, doesn't make us great. In fact, it's a very opposite because grace is total and is resident in us as a gift of God in the person of Christ. We are all the more humbled. There are no elite and no special people. So don't let somebody drive that down your throat, so to speak. Because they'll say, well, you think you're smart, don't you? You're not in with the rest of us. And I'm not. I'm not going to run with the preachers who do everything opposite to what the scriptures say. Oh, they got plenty of scripture for what they do, but it's opposite for the scriptures that are given to us. So I don't run with them. I'll fellowship with anybody, even sinners, as well as preachers. But I don't run with them in the race if they don't adhere to this doctor, especially to the doctrine that Paul gives us. They all failed. They were a very special group. And after the day of Pentecost, they were a special group again. My, they were the biggest there was. But you know what? Jesus tasted of death for every person so that none of us are special. We're God's children. And in that family, as in any true family with a large bunch of kids, no one is better than the other. Now, there are a couple of moments that I need to separate from this whole story because we're about to get to one of them. Two moments in the Christ life that I think were the most hurtful to Jesus. I mentioned two of them, but only one I want to talk about. The one we won't talk about now, but a little later is when on the cross he cried, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Relationship wasn't broken, but fellowship was. We'll talk about that later. That was a hard moment. But the other moment that was hard for him is in Gethsemane, when there was set before him the cup. This is a hard moment. Not only it being set before him was a great test, 
But after he drank it was probably the hardest moment Jesus, Mary's son, had ever experienced on this earth. That was hard. What happened to him then? And that's what we'll talk about. So we're in Gethsemane. All his good friends have gone to sleep on him. He goes a little deeper in the garden, and I like what the artist has painted the picture of him kneeling down beside a rock, as it were. The cup was sitting right in front of him. And this looks like that might have been the only time that took place, but don't believe it was. I believe that the cup was set before Jesus three times. Now that's very important for strategic to the whole plan of God. Jesus can only die in one 24-hour period of 365 days. Believing in the calendar we celebrate, he can't die on Thursday and he can't die on Saturday. He can only die on Friday. And only one Friday out of the year can he die. Just one. If you study the scriptures closely, you will find that every year at the Passover, that's the Friday. That's the day, the 24-hour period he must die in. If you studied the scriptures carefully, you would find that he is in Jerusalem on every Passover of his ministry. The three and a half year ministry. He's in Jerusalem every Passover. <clears throat> Why is he there? Because if the call comes, he must fulfill prophecy by being in Jerusalem. He can't be in some other town. He can't be in another province. He must be in Jerusalem to fulfill prophecy. And he must be there on Passover night. If any of that's broken, then the whole plan blows up. But God doesn't arbitrarily deal with circumstances and situations. They fit his plan. So he's got to die on that period of time. I imagine this, that every Passover you'll find him, if not in the garden, you'll find him somewhere where he prays this prayer, Father, if this is the night that I am to drink the cup, thy will be done. Two other times, obviously, the cup was removed. He didn't know the time or else he couldn't have prayed like he did. He didn't know that it would be his third year in Jerusalem. That was in the Father's plan. He was simply follow, following the will of the Father. And so he prayed two times before, Father, if it be your will, take the cup away. Both times the father took the cup away. Why? It wasn't his time yet. 
But on this Passover night, it was the Father's time. So the cup set before him, and he prays his regular prayer. Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. Now, you'll be surprised how people handle that. I've read of some writers who said, well, the cup was more than he could bear, and he wanted God to take it away. That isn't what it's meant by that. It is for this cause he came into the world. Two times the scripture says, for this cause he came into the world. He has had nothing else before him in his whole life except that cup. There is no other reason why he preached and taught and tried to reach Israel except by that cup. His only hope in the world that he could offer them was if he took that cup. But if he took it out of the will of God, the whole plan was broken. There could not be salvation because God's plan was fixed. God speaks. God keeps his word. God obeys what he has planned. So, on this night, there sits before him the cup. In his heart, he says, Lord, if you won't, remove the cup from me. I can wait another year. I can go another 365 days. I don't have to do it tonight. Thy will be done. That's the way he prayed. That's the way he lived between he and the Father because this, this plan had nothing to do with humanity. Humanity didn't have enough sense to know what was going on. Even his closest followers didn't know what was going on. It was between the Father and the Son. And so he said, Father, if you will, take the cup away. If not, I'll take it. And you think that's a one-time thing, but I think it is a third time. Third time was perfect. The cup didn't go away. We've got to stop right here for today, but we'll pick up again next week where we left off on this great study from Warren Litzman on the cross. Now, please visit our website, christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Read all about us and be sure and check out the bookstore and some of the wonderful priceless material that Warren left behind that you can have right in your own home. Robbie Litzman allows us to go into the archives each week to bring you these special sessions. Thank you, Robbie. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.